0: The Lax Factor Podcast. What is up, college lacrosse fans? You are watching episode 151 of the Lax Factor Lacrosse Podcast and. Today, we're going to talk about a bunch of games, but we're going to have a new number one on Monday, and that's the only thing we know for sure now. We don't know who that number one is going to be. I'll talk a little bit about who I think it should be, but we had upsets galore in the Notre Dame-Duke game, the Carolina-Virginia game, Drexel did some damage, St. Joseph's did some damage, and you go right down the list here. We have a bunch of great games to talk about. We're going to talk about Army Loyola, Towson gets a win, the Big Ten games. We're going to talk about... All of that crap today. Before I get into it, as always, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, and you can go to laxfactor.com to get swag, hats, t-shirts, and all that other crap to support us that way. But more importantly, just share the crap out of the show. That's really all I ask. Hit that like button like an idiot and just share the show with your homeboys and we're good to go. So, Notre Dame-Duke. I mean, it was just an absolutely bonkers, bonkers outcome. The game itself wasn't all that crazy because, you know, once Notre Dame got control, they kind of had control and you felt like, oh man, like, you know, the most of the second half, you figured Notre Dame's going to upset Duke and it didn't look like Duke ever really got their, their legs under them. But in, in terms of what happened here first part of this game and the first thing that factors into this is the Notre Dame defense was a seven-headed monster just absolutely crazy and suffocating this whole game. They had their tentacles on everything was my first note. They gave up nothing off ball nor on ball. They won their individual matchups, their one-on-one matchups, you know, they they played insanely well in terms of just winning those matchups and not getting beat one-on-one, but when they did get beat they were there to help. They were there to disrupt. They had their and passing lanes all day, shut down cutters. It it was crazy. It was actually, if you were a Duke fan, it was painful to watch because you could just tell that they were just out of sorts and they couldn't get anything done, but it was painful because they were running their sets and they were doing everything right. They just, Notre Dame just didn't give them an inch. It was absolutely incredible in terms of an overall team defensive showing just off the, Off the charts. And it was, you know, if you're a note, like I said, if you're a Duke fan, it was painful. If you were a Notre Dame fan or just a Duke hater, and I'd posit there's probably more Duke haters than there are Notre Dame fans. Uh, If you were one of those two people in one of those two camps, then it was a thing of beauty to watch. In terms of defensive games, uh, it was one of the best defensive uh, uh, shows. That I've seen in quite a while. So, to the point that we're going to have to do a film review for that defensive effort for sure. Our, one of our best film reviews that we ever did, and I haven't done a lot of them because of time, but uh, it was a Yale, how Cornell played Yale in the Ivy League finals, where Cornell beat up Yale despite Yale going on to win. And I think Yale won the national title that year. Maybe that was the year Virginia won the national title. No, I'm forgetting. I think Yale won it that year. Anyway, we'll have to cover that. So, anyway. Diving back into it, Naso, one of the keys to this game I had said was you had that two headed monster of uh, Leonard and Gallagher uh, at the face off dot for Notre Dame. And I had said if Duke was going to have a chance, Naso was going to have to, to show. Naso did more than show for Duke. He goes 16 of 22 against what I call the best face off duo in the country. And he's just a freshman. Now, that stat alone, if you had said, hey, Here's this stat what happened in this game. I would have automatically assumed that Duke rolled in this game. He wins 16 of 22 draws, guys. That's crazy. And uh, not so. They did not win the game because Naso won the, the battle at the dot, which I assumed is what would end up happening. Uh, he won seven of eight over the second quarter. That helped Duke tie the game at fives after they went down 5 2 early. Meyer scored for Notre Dame with 55 seconds left in the second quarter, giving Notre Dame a 6-5 lead at the half, and then Notre Dame really never looked back after that. Stat, and, I, and I say they never looked back. I mean, Duke would threaten a couple of times, but Notre Dame, Notre Dame held their shit together through the rest of the game. They beat Duke in every way, just about, in terms of the box score. Shots on goal, 24-20 Notre Dame. Saves, 12-11 Notre Dame. Turnovers 22 to 12. Notre Dame forced Duke into 22 turnovers, and it wasn't a turnover forcing uh, fest in terms of caused turnovers. It was just such good defense. Duke was forcing so much that they just turned the ball over. What you would, if you weren't a coach or if you didn't have a trained eye, you would say Duke just shot themselves in the foot over and over and over again. But as a guy that looks at the game a little bit differently in that way, you could tell that it was Notre Dame frustrating the ever-living crap out of Duke and forced them into a bunch of bad decisions that resulted in a 22-12 turnover discrepancy in favor of Notre Dame. So that's pretty crazy. 15 of those turnovers were over the first quarter and the third quarter when Notre Dame kind of separated a little bit. The big one here too, Clears. Notre Dame forced Duke into eight failed clears, 21 of 29, while Notre Dame cleared the ball perfect, 19 of 19. They won every blue-collar stat in the stat book. Kyle Thornton, he forced two of those turnovers. Uh, Jose Boyer forced another and picked up three ground balls in the process. Ross Bergmaster, Nick Harris, Jack Kilty, all of them forced one turnover and all of them just as a team gelled as a unit. They gelled, they communicated, they beat on people, they helped, they cleared the ball perfectly. You just couldn't, you can't say enough about how well Notre Dame's defense played. And then in cage, Liam Entman he played a better, he played the better game and got the W. Usually the goalie that plays a better game often gets the W. Entman had a better start overall, I think. And I think he just kind of played a little bit more consistently through the game. His 12 saves versus eight goals against against Adler, who struggled at times, who had 11 saves versus 13 goals against, just not good enough overall. Uh, but Adler didn't play, didn't play bad. I mean, Notre Dame's offense was really efficient overall. Uh, but Entman's 12 saves, that helped make sure that Duke couldn't get a rhythm. He played well at the end of each of the quarters. Duke threatened a couple of times at the end of a quarter and Entman came up with big saves. So, huge to make sure that Duke couldn't find any rhythm. Unusual suspects led Notre Dame. An odd cast of characters indeed. We all expected Pat Cavanaugh in Saturday morning's live stream. Someone had asked me, what do you think Cavanaugh's going to put up for points? I figured legit this kid would end up putting up, you know, six, seven points on this game, probably fairly split between goals and helpers. Not so. He goes for a goal and an assist. He had a very nice behind-the-back goal, by the way. I think he scored the first goal of the game for Notre Dame, possibly, and then not again. And uh, that second midline for Notre Dame, they had a great outing. Uh, Morrison Meyer, four goals. David Libka, the Cuse transfer, he was a he was a pretty big factor on Cuse's second midfield line over the last couple of years. Three assists. Wheaton Jacka three goals. He's one of their known factors. He had a great game. Will York had two goals in cra- including a crazy bouncer. York stuck a bouncer off the left side. I think it was from Kavanaugh. Might have been from Jacka I'm not sure now. Anyway. York stuck a bouncer that literally bounces about halfway between him and the cage and then stings the upper left corner. It was an absolutely beautiful shot. Next up for Notre Dame, they get Duke again. Literally, you beat Duke, and now you're going to have Duke come to your place, and they're going to play Duke again. They have a bit of a break before Duke shows up, and then for Duke, they have UVA next, and then they'll travel to South Bend to take on Notre Dame. So what? What a game. What an outcome. Who knew? Now, On the topic of who should be the new number one, if you asked me, I would say Maryland's deserving. Maryland Maryland is not deserving based on their strength of schedule. Maryland is deserving based on the fact I think they're legitimately a ridiculously good team, and I think they would hold up well against all of these ACC teams. The problem, I think, with putting Maryland at number one is we don't know how they've, they would fare against that. Like I've heard a lot of people try to say, oh man, the big Ten's quality every year, the big 10 you put up, if they played out of conference, these guys would be beaten up on their non-conference schedule, maybe, but all of these teams are so far below Maryland in their conference And it's not necessarily because Maryland is just that much better. They're just down. Hopkins is down. Joey Epstein didn't even start in the previous game, and he hasn't looked like himself. And Ohio State, yeah, you know they're a good team, mediocre. Rutgers looks legit, but Rutgers has dropped two to Maryland uh, by a margin, nonetheless. So it's like I'd I'd go with Notre Dame. Notre Dame's got a win over Syracuse when I think Cuse was number four. Now they've got a win over number one Duke. I think that you kind of have to give Notre Dame that number one spot despite their loss to Virginia because Virginia just beat UNC. So it's like Maryland, if they were playing a better schedule, would have lost a game by now, most likely. And Maryland's like kind of like Duke. Maryland is always good for playing a couple of non-conference games really close, if not dropping one here and there. So I think Notre Dame should be the number one. I think Maryland should be the definite number two. Duke goes to three. Virginia probably sits at four. Carolina, five or six. Syracuse, you know, still somewhere in the top 10 rounding it out. But I think that the new number one should be Notre Dame come Monday and Maryland should be number two. And I think given it to Maryland, I'm not going to be mad, but I think that would technically be wrong because you you have to kind of reward the ACC for what they're doing with playing non-conference and within their conference. And you kind of have to punish the Big Ten for making a boneheaded decision and not letting these teams play out of conference games. So that's that's where I stand on that. Next one to talk about, Virginia, North Carolina. These teams already met once early in the year. North Carolina, a three-goal winner in that one. But this is our second huge upset of the day on Saturday as the Cavaliers handed UNC their second straight loss. UNC was undefeated leading into the Duke game. They lose to Duke by a goal in OT, and then boom, We have Virginia here coming up next. I thought UNC would probably win this game, and one of the keys I had said in the live stream earlier in the day was Petey fucking LaSala, and that dude showed up like crazy. We'll talk about that in a bit. But first off, absolute nail-biter. Absolute nail-biter going through into, you know, the towards the end of the third quarter, this thing was going back and forth, UVA-led, UNC-led, both teams just, you know, kind of uppercutting each other, and both teams getting back up and answering the call. So um, what, where am I here? Oh, Doc Sakin. He scores off an Ian Laviano feed, tying things up at 10s with 345 left in the third. And then from there, it just goes really, really bad for North Carolina. Uh, wheels totally fell off. Laviano stuck one with 205 left in the third. Peter Peter Garno stuck one with 50 seconds left in the third. Ian Laviano stuck one again with nine seconds left in the third quarter. All of those goals assisted by Matt Moore and UNC after, you know, getting the game close. And now we got a tie game here late in the third quarter. It goes from being tied with just under three left to now North Carolina. Now it's 14-10. Uh, no, 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 no. I'm 13, 10 going into the fourth and then it got worse because it's 13, 10 going into the fourth and then Petey LaSala scores 12 seconds into the quarter off that ensuing face-off starting the fourth quarter out and now it's 14, 10 UVA and then UNC just couldn't climb back after that. I kind of butchered that little release here. My son's trying to get me the heck out of the house this morning so that we can go buy some video- Star Wars video game for the switch. So he's like really pressuring me to get this podcast out and uh, to all you guys so we can get the hell out of here. Um, stories of the game, PD Lasala was an absolute monster. He wins 26 of 38 draws and it's really hard to overcome a a possession disparity. That's that bad in the lower scoring games, the the possession disparity, let's say it's like 16 to 22 or something like that. You can overcome that. But when you're losing 26 of 38 draws, you only won 12 face-offs. That is brutal. And uh, I often talk about also one of the ways that you can neutralize that effect where you, you might get nuked at the faceoff dot. And I used to say this actually about PD Lasala, where Lasala wasn't always this just absolute dominant draw guy. Lasala would end up being like, you know, he might win 46 percent in a game, but he would put up a goal and a helper. So I would often say if you're going to get beat at the dot at least put up a point or two off those draws, and you can kind of neutralize that effect that like a TD Erland has. TD Erland is not a big big goal scoring or point putter-upper in terms of face. he just wins face-offs and gives the ball to the offense, but where you're playing a guy like him, if you could put up a couple of points, that could kind of neutralize him beating you for 70% of the draws. In this case, North Carolina, they get beat on the draws really bad, and PD LaSala goes for a goal. And an assist in this game. So, just you can't say enough about how well this kid played. This kid is just a monster for UVA right now. And he's turned into being, you know, probably the best offensive threat from the faceoff dot in the country to now being one of the best winners of draw. I mean, he's just one of the best all around faceoff guys in the country. You can't say enough good things about him, even though I don't want to, because he plays for UVA and not Syracuse. Matt Moore the feeder. Moore goes for two goals and six helpers. And as discussed earlier, three of those assists happened over just a three-minute period to end the third quarter, and that kind of sealed the deal for UNC to a degree. Another huge factor, Ian Laviano. He had himself a huge, a huge game. Laviano had struggled. He had gotten bumped to midfield in in favor of, of Colin, uh, uh, Connor Schellenberger playing attack for a bit, so they were running with Moore, Schellenberger, and Cormier on attack, and Laviano was coming off and running midfield. He, he factored still, and he put up some points here and there, but it wasn't the old Ian Laviano we see it looked like Laviano started attack on this game, got a lot of attack time in this game. Uh, I saw him playing down low on fast breaks and things of that sort. And he goes for four goals and two assists in this one. So good job by Laviano to hop back on the field, and it just se- you could just tell their offensive mojo with that crew of attackmen, more Laviano and Cormier. It was just insane, the, the, the production. like They just looked better, and I think that has a lot to do with Moore and Laviano and how well they know each other, how much they trust each other, and I think you could put Cormier or Schellenberger in at that other spot, or I don't think Schellenberger's production was hurt all that bad by running mid, so we'll, it'll, see, it'll be interesting to see if UVA sticks with that lineup down the road. Another thing that factored heavily, UVA got eight goals off of 10 shots between Laviano and Jeff Conner. That type of efficiency overall, you can't can't be overlooked. Add Garneau and Cormier's two goals and Lasala's goal to that mix, and UVA got thirteen goals off seventeen shots between those three guys. That is huge in terms of just efficiency and production. Thirteen of their goals came off just seventeen shots from five different guys. It's not only spreading it out, but the guys that are getting these shots off are just being really efficient. Um, Laviano was four or five. And Connor was four or5 shooting as well. So that's crazy. Um, it wasn't a crazy defensive game, obviously. I, you'd call this one kind of a shootout, but uh, the UVA defense they played well enough to allow their offense to win the shootout. Kologi, uh, Sawstead, Connors, they were all key in that in that and factored it didn't turn into box score. Type uh, stats. said you didn't look at the stat and say, "Hey, every one of those guys had two forced turnovers." That didn't happen, but they did a good enough job bottling up and disrupting North Carolina that their offense was able to score two more goals than the other guys. Both goalies played well too. Krieg and Road both had fifteen saves. Credit to Road though. Road faced a couple more shots, or no, Road faced a few less shots and made you know the saves that he had to make to kind of give his team the win so he had the slightly better save percentage. So I give the nod to road in terms of the goalie battle and his team wins the game. But Krieg, man, this kid just continues to impress, continues to be um, very consistent. And you can't say enough about that freshman. Next up for UVA is Duke. So it's just crazy. Once again, we got now next week, I think that's Thursday night's game is Duke UVA. So right off the bat, we get to turn around and on Thursday, we get to see another one of these crazy ACC battles. Let me get a drink here. Next one we're going to talk about is Army and Loyola. Oh man, choking on my water here. I don't cut that out for all you people who are watching for the first time. All the people who watch consistently don't care anymore if I drink water in their ears. Army and Loyola. The big surprise in this one was that Army won by a margin, and I didn't see Brendan Nick turn in the box score. He was held scoreless. I think he had just one helper. Loyola's strategy to shut him down didn't quite pan out because Army ended up winning matchups in other places, possibly because of what they were trying to do to limit Nick turn overall. Aiden Burns four goals and Nicholas Edinger's three goals and a dish made up for Nick Turn's quiet day, and that may have happened partly because of Nick Turn's quiet day. You devote your resources to one guy. Sometimes you're willing to let the other guys burn you, thinking that they're not going to burn you as bad as Nick Turn would. And Nick Turn, very few teams have probably relied on one guy as much as Army has relied on Nick Turn. I'd say Hofstra has probably relied on 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 tyranny a lot, although they have help in other places. So I, I, I kind of agree with that. Uh, Alberici said that no one has relied on one guy as much as we've relied on Nick Turn. So to see these other guys step up is a huge, huge uh, good sign for Army. Uh, Schupler, he factored in cage, monster, 16 saves, only giving up four goals over the first three quarters. That makes it really hard for an already struggling Loyola offense to make anything happen. And the other factor in this game I had said was uh, Savio that he needed to win the, the to keep Loyola in this he needed to win the face off battle which he did 15 to 22 draws for Loyola so Savio played well but Army's defense and Schupler just never let Loyola put it together Army's offense was extremely uh, efficient in terms of scoring goals when they had chances so that ends up being the ball game Army beats them so that was a hell of a game now we are going to get into random time here we're going to talk about random games that weren't necessarily quite as close and some of them were Maryland and Michigan. I know all the Maryland fans want to hear Maryland. I was actually surprised that this uh, box score, the score was as close as it was overall. Uh, Michigan, I think, actually had a pretty good showing. And uh, Anthony DeMayo and Jared Bernhardt both had huge days, five and two out of both of those guys. Logan Wisnowskis, two and two. Bubba Fairman, three and one. Daniel Maltz, three and oh. Kyle Long, zero oh and three. So you look at that. Uh, Maryland did their job. Josh Zuwada ended up going two and three for Michigan. Bryce Clay, three and one for Michigan. So they looked pretty good. And then the face-off uh, group here of Shockey and Wehrman, actually Wehrman took the bulk of them, 15 to 25. So they they really won that battle. And with with all of that, and that's one of my knocks on Maryland, is you know, you see they win the Lions' share of the face-offs and still only beat a struggling Maryland team, 18-12. No, a win is a win is a win. I didn't actually watch this game. My Big Ten, I heard a lot of people complaining about Big Ten, uh, the Big Ten subscriptions this weekend. Mine, for some reason, despite the fact I paid for it during the week, my credit card had expired. I had to re-up my credit card. I pay for my Big Ten Plus subscription, but none of my devices were recognizing that I had paid for it. It was almost like they didn't get updates, and then they weren't loading the schedules. I could only get the Big Ten games to play On my phone. So I actually watched the Hopkins and Ohio State game, the bulk of it on my phone because it was the only device that was letting me log in and I wasn't near a computer. So, Maryland, you know, they win by a margin. And I mean, that's just a crazy stat line here out of Bernhardt and uh, DeMayo. They both played great, but not a whole lot to report there on that one other than that. Another upset, I would say. I would call this an upset, although I think a lot of people in the Drexel camp kind of believed that Drexel could win this, as did I. Uh, We had talked about this one briefly in the live stream. I had picked Delaware to win, but I would. I said I wouldn't be surprised the way Drexel's been playing to see Drexel pull this one out, and they do. They beat Delaware 12-9, to and it's Aiden Cole, or Kyle, I, I presume it's Cole, C-O-L-L, five and one in this game. So, I mean, he's like, and then down Drexel's sheet here, you just see... Cole, number 54, Drexel, he goes five and one on the day off nine shots, very efficient shooting day. But then that Drexel had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven other guys all put up one goal each in this win. So that's a total team effort out of Drexel, a hell of a job. Charlie Kitchen for Delaware, three and two. So he played played pretty tough. Kurtz was held to one and one. And then the uh, Ross Blumenthal for Drexel ends up going for 12 saves versus nine goals against. So he's got the better save percentage by 3% over Matt uh, Kilcary. Is that how you say that? And uh, yeah, Drexel ends up winning that game. Drexel, eh, what do they look like in their conference now here? Let's go take a look at that. I'm I never, never sure if Inside Lacrosse is updating these in real time or not. Looks like Drexel's only three and two still in the conference, and Delaware's four and one. But it just makes the CAA a lot more interesting here. With Hofstra at three and one, Drexel at three and two, Delaware at four and one, UMass, a lot of people's preseason favorite to win, despite their late start, they're sitting at three and two now. So that conference, a a lot of these conference matchups have been very interesting, and the CAA is one of those conferences that's going to come right down to the wire in the end. Another Big Ten game, Rutgers beat down Penn State badly. Rutgers twenty-two, Penn State ten. Colin Ker- or Connor Kurst goes four and three. Kieran Mullins five and one. Adam Charlembide's five goals, and I mean it's just crazy here. How Knoblock do? Shane Knobloch held scoreless, two assists. I always, it's like I'm a Knoblock watcher here now. TJ Malone three and one for Penn State, and Mac O'Keefe two goals, and that's it. So I mean Rutgers puts the absolute hurt. On Penn State. What did the goalies do? Colin Kirst, 12 saves versus those seven goals against. And it looks like Kobe Kanese split time uh, with their backup goalie, whose name I'm not even going to try to pronounce. Kanese, you know, 11 goals against, eight saves. Not a terrible outing against a really good Rutgers team, but when you're getting beat up, you end up having to play multiple guys. And that's it. How'd they work? How'd Rutgers do at the faceoff dot? Uh, Arceri did do a great job, 17 to 27 for Penn State at the faceoff dot. That just shows you how badly Penn State is struggling offensively, not being able to figure it out. They're really missing aim at obviously. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, they, they, Penn State pretty much murked the faceoff dot and still got beat 22 to 10. That is how bad they are playing right now. Feel bad for them. You know, you like to see teams emerge and do well, and you don't want to see them go into the toilet after that, but it looks like Penn State is now relegated to the toilet. Ohio State Johns Hopkins, two other teams that were kind of fighting to not be in the basement of the Big Ten. Ohio State ends up winning this one. They improve now to four and four. Uh, that's really good for them because they were three and four and they didn't want to continue to drop below five hundred because this keeps their playoff hopes alive. Hopkins now pretty much sunk at two and six uh Cole Williams 3 and 2 for Hopkins and the loss. Brendan Grimes factored heavily, three goals, so he had himself a nice game. Uh Ohio State was able to keep Connor D Simone off the scoring off the the scoring column in terms of goals, but he ended up putting up three uh, assists. Jackson Reed 4 and 2 for Ohio State. Jack Myers 3 and 2. Johnny Wiseman 1 and 2. Uh, Ryan Tarafanko actually goes for three goals in this one, which was huge. Trey Leclerc held to a goal, but it didn't matter. 14-12 win for Ohio State, and that is good enough to win this game. Inacio, 13-28 at the faceoff dot. So Hopkins actually did a pretty good job of neutralizing Inacio and Tarafanko, that kind of duo that works the wing and the faceoff. So good job. That's There's little wins here and there that you can see for Hopkins and little things are doing well, but it's not translating to wins at all for them. And I think a big part of that is Epstein. When the guy who you expect to be your best player, you expect a guy to return back to all American form and now he's not even playing. Something's up there and uh, I hope they figure that out and I hope Epstein gets it figured out. Marquette, Georgetown. I actually thought Georgetown would, would, would win this one by more of a margin. They win 10 to eight, ends up being a decent game. Caraway four and one. TJ Haley, 0 and four. Dylan Watson, four goals for Georgetown. Devin Cohen for Marquette ends up putting up six goals off 11 shots, so a hell of a job by him in this loss. And then Owen McElroy in cage, nine saves versus the eight goals against. You get above 50%, you win the ball game. Uh, so that was a good job. And then face-off dot for Georgetown, uh riley he ends up winning 14 and 22 so georgetown wins enough face-offs gets enough saves out of their keeper and then gets enough goals out of their offense to win i'm still not sold now i'm, I'm no longer thinking the best defense in the country is georgetown i'm not i'm not sure they're even in the top five at this stage with the weak schedule they play as close as their games have been more uh, lately I know they've been missing some guys and have had a hard time getting everybody together but it is very apparent right now that the best defense in the country is Notre Dame hands down no question. I put Maryland right up there. I still put Duke's defense right up there and then Georgetown somewhere behind those guys. But Georgetown they get to win. They're 8 and 1, but like we said do they? Is their schedule going to prepare them for the tournament? Because in the tournament, you're going to end up having to beat an ACC team or a Maryland or somebody like that—someone who's been truly battle-tested—and the teams they've played thus far have not been battle-tested. And the teams they've played who are beat them. So we still got to see how Georgetown's... It's that same same old thing with Georgetown. They they win a bunch of games early. They get into their conference, and it doesn't pan out for them by the end of the year. I'm hoping we don't see that. I'm hoping this is a year Georgetown advances to the quarters and then loses to an ACC team or a Big Ten team. Jacksonville and Air Force. Jacksonville gets the big win, 11-5 in this one. We're starting to get into the rundown period here where I'll talk a little bit less about them, but we'll still talk about the games. Jack Dolan goes 2-2. Two and two. Uh, Stagnita for Jacksonville goes 3-1. and one. Evan Tyler, 1-0, so he was quiet. But Jacksonville improves to 6-4, Air Force down to 2-7. They're the, the the military academy that's having the roughest time here now. So 11-5 win for Jacksonville. That's a big win. What did their goalies do? Yeah. Well, yeah, Jason Yaquinto for Jacksonville, 16 saves versus those five goals again. So he he does a hell of a job in net for Jacksonville. Let us look at – then we had another one here. I actually had picked – Hobart to win this game against St. Joseph's, and St. Joseph's ends up winning this game in overtime. Evan Campbell, one and three. Matt ba- Bomber, three and one. Matt Tifano, two and one for St. Joseph's. They beat Hobart in a big time conference matchup here. Derek Madonna, four-and two for Hobart. Ryan Archer, two and one, Tommy Mott two-and-one, but it was quiet beyond that. Goalies, let's see if someone saves somebody's butt here. Uh Tucker Almany for St. Joseph's. He got he 11 saves off 12. Goals against and Kevin Holtby, who's continued to play well for Hobart, 15 saves versus 13 goals against, but it is not good enough to get Hobart the win. So Saint Joseph's picks up a big one against their rival Hobart. Faceoffs pretty much split 50 50, just about down the middle. Let's see what this conference is looking like now as we get into here. Saint Joseph's is now five and zero in the NEC. LIU and Bryant's game got canceled, and I'm not sure why that happened. Uh, we'll have to see later in the week. Uh, but they're both liu and brian are both five and one st Joseph's is five and oh and now hobart odd man out here three and two so it looks like hobart's chances of making the tournament are sunk and now it's between these three teams at the top of the nec another conference that you normally don't watch all that closely because normally they're only putting one or two quality teams out this year they've got three teams even hobart is looking tough uh, as the fourth team in that conference Towson and Fairfield. Towson ekes out a one goal win over Fairfield. Towson improves to four and six now, which is incredible because last year they were on their way to like 0 and nine, 0 and 10 before the season got canceled. So one goal win for Towson. Alex Reed goes two and one in this one. James Avanzado, three assists. Andrew Milani, two and one. You know, they, they ended up getting it done. Let's see what the goalies did in this one. Shane Brennan for Towson, 10 saves, 11 goals against. You know, both goalies played eh. Kinda good. Faceoff dot. I'm trying, I always try to find the story here between those main stats right there. Pretty split at the face-off dot. Dylan Smith actually won the bulk of them for Fairfield, but it did not matter in that one. Denver Villanova. Denver beats Villanova 17 to 10, as we expected. Cotler goes three and one. Cotler's started to play solid now here for Denver. Uh, the transfer from Yale. Alex Simmons, one and three. Hannah, Jungle Jack Hannah, three and one. Sadly, my wife told me that the real Jungle Jack Hannah is no longer going, he's removing himself or his family's remo- removing him from public life due to, I, I don't know if it was dementia. Hopefully it wasn't Alzheimer's, but apparently he's getting up there in age. He has been, but he's been one of, like, I, I'm a big fan of Jungle Jack Hannah watched him as a kid, loved seeing him as even as an adult when he would do like the Tonight Show and crap like that. So sad to hear that we, you know, bad news for Jungle Jack Hanna and that we will not be seeing him running around acting crazy. Uh, So thoughts and prayers, T's and P's to Jungle Jack Hanna, but at least the young representation, the lacrosse version of Jungle Jack Hanna goes three and one in Denver's win. Jackson Morrill, three assists. JJ Silstrop, two and one Let's see what happened at the faceoff dot. Did we get a TD Erlen back in this game? We did. TD Erlen goes 8 of 14, 57% in this one. Alex Stathakis goes 10 of 16. So their two-headed monster in this game, at least TD Erlen wasn't even the leader. Stathakis for Denver is the one who got the job done. So hell of a job for him. Last game, we're going to talk about Lehigh, 6-0, best team in Pennsylvania. Per whatever, and when I say whatever, I'm talking about you know one of the dudes who's always commenting here. I actually know him, Heller, uh, offline too, but uh, he's always commenting under the moniker Whatever within the YouTube world here. Lehigh thirteen, Navy seven. Lehigh is the best team in Pennsylvania. Now they're one of the best teams in the country here. Uh, Tommy Schelling three and two, Christian Mule two and two. Hell of a job here. Let's see here, because one of the stories I'm sure in this game is going to end up being the faceoff dot. Keeper for Lehigh, James Spence. He goes for 14 saves against just seven goals against, so he had a hell of an outing. And then Mike Sisselberger, as usual, one of the best faceoff guys in the country, 18 of 23 from the faceoff dot. And that's not something Navy's going to be able to overcome, and they didn't. 13 7 win for. Lehigh. All right, guys, I'm going to let my son win out here. I'm going to get the hell out of here. We talked about a lot of games. There was a lot of upsets. There's going to be a bunch of crap to talk about coming up this week. So Wednesday show, we're going to preview the Duke-Virginia showdown. And then we've got Syracuse-UNC. Uh, over the weekend next weekend. So we'll end up watching what the ACC does very closely. We'll talk about that on Wednesday and preview all of those games. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Go to laxfactor.com, get yourself some swag, and Hoost is out.